may begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer? O Lord, in your mercy and truth, would you guide us? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've titled today's session, Am I My Brother's uh, Keeper? It's taken from this Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, verse. And um, I've taken this passage from uh, 2b to 16, uh, skipping over Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, you recall, is a time when Adam and Eve uh, sinned before God. And uh, that was the sign and the first indication of the introduction of sin between mankind and God and uh, individually with each other and so for this year I'm addressing this whole issue about uh, sin against one another uh, to your brother and the big question to be thinking about at the end of this is am I my brother's uh, keeper that's quite a key word uh, that is used there uh, this painting is by a uh, man of the name Titan, uh, he depicted this particular struggle of uh, Cain and Abel, where Cain is, uh, has smashed in Abel's head and is now kicking him into a pit in the field. And we have seen the ancient history of time uh, again and again, brothers rising up in arms against each other, uh, particularly caused by bitterness and hate. Someone mentioned that the story of Romulus and Remus uh, and the founding of Rome was also based on a very similar uh, picture of brothers opposed to each other and who as a result ended up killing one another as a result of jealousy, envy and grief. <clears throat> uh, I don't know if you yourself are a victim or a perpetrator of some of these issues some of the most heartfelt tears I've encountered in talking to some of my friends uh, deal with property, uh, deal with uh, family uh, inheritance and the bitterness and uh, feud that comes about from businesses that have uh, failed or, or succeeded and uh, now uh, they're no longer part of that same family and they cannot stand the sight of each other and they bring this bitterness to the grave with them. They just cannot seem to forgive and forget. And so we want to look at this particular situation and ask this question, how uh, did this come about and what is man's answer or what is God's answer to man for this particular situation? Let's begin first with this uh, first point <clears throat> uh, about the favoured offering. And if you will keep your Bible open uh, with you, it begins there in 4b, uh, Abel kept flocks, he's a shepherd, and Cain worked the soil, he is a keeper of the land. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and verse 4 says, Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, not long ago, a friend came to me and said, what's wrong with, uh, what's wrong with uh, Cain and Abel's offering? You mean to say that the, 
the, the char siu or siu yolk is better than uh, corn and maize or what? You know, why is the vegetables or the grain offering better than the other? Now, in a way, we have kind of read into this uh, that one is better than the other. And, and in a way, yes, one is favoured over the other. One's offering is favoured over the other. But the text doesn't say that his was favoured because it was a fat offering, whereas the other one was a grain offering. It is just narrating that they gave the offering, but God favoured one over the other. Now, many people have speculated, and they have said, maybe it's because Abel has given uh, animal sacrifice, and animal sacrifices are better than the other. Well, I'd like to point out, the offering, the word offering in Hebrew is minha. Minha in uh, Leviticus chapter 2 is commonly a grain offering offered after an animal sacrifice. But Leviticus is written way, way, way after when God had already given his prescription. And so this Minha offering, this offering is actually given in thanksgiving for the provision of a Lord over the land. Okay, you can also give this offering to a king or to a deity, and in Leviticus 2, this offering can actually be green. It is not a problem. Okay, so, uh, I want to take away from this that, you know, uh, I don't want you to go away leaving that, uh, thinking that roast pork or roast, roast meat is better than uh, vegetables or whatever. No. The offering, both of them are acceptable. Okay, in, in terms of the ritual, or what is the content of what you offer, that's not the issue. It does, however, point to a particular uh, difference. One is an agriculturalist uh, agrarian farmer. Uh, the other one is a shepherd who, who tills the land. And some people have said maybe this is a Mesopotamian issue between farm versus uh, you know, uh, culture. Text doesn't say so. Uh, so if you want to bring in all this change of uh, generation and all that stuff, it's stretching it a little. So really, the text doesn't really tell you why God favoured one over the other. In a way, it's His prerogative, God's prerogative to say this is better. But some people have read into it and said that the description of Abel's offering is uh, a few sentences more. Fat portion of the firstborn of his flock. Fat portion. So other people who said, oh, maybe his is better because it's a, you know, it's a sacrificial blood offering, there's no blood mentioned. There's only a fat portion from the, from the first flock. So he gives, he gives something and it's a little bit extra. So really, the point of the story is not to dwell into why, is his offering better than the other? The point of the story is, what is the response after God favours one over the other? Now, many of us would have been in some situation or other where somebody has been chosen above us, favoured over us for promotion, for uh, you know, position in class, you know, why that fellow is the one who gets chosen? Why not me? You know, I'm equally handsome, equally good, equally capable. Why not? Well, for whatever reason it is, the person who has chosen and has authority to choose 
has decided. We now have to deal with it and Cain doesn't do a very good job at handling it. It says there, <clears throat> on Cain's offering, uh, his offering, God did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. I, I don't know how many of you are, are quite good at telling uh, body language. Uh, you know when your other half is angry. Your muka panjang. Okay, muka masam. Some people used to say, you know, wow, if you are going to look like that, even the milk is going to curdle. <laughs> and so Cain is visibly upset. Now, one of the reasons why this text is not so easy to decipher is not because of what it says, but what it doesn't say. <clears throat> There's a lot that's not mentioned here. And so in the brevity of words that we have, we cannot try uh, to add in things that are not there. Good, good theologians, okay, good expositors, people who preach, does not try to fill in things that are not there. So whilst it's easy to make conjecture, I would suggest that you try not to and focus instead specifically on what is being said. As a result of God's favor over Abel, <coughs> Cain is very angry and he's downcast, in a way depressed, uh, upset and despairing maybe. You know, what do I have to do? He's upset. What we can say or look from this is that his pride may have been injured and from his injured pride, has uh, arisen several reactions. <clears throat> Anger. My younger brother has been favoured over me. Now, Cain and Abel, their, their names have particular meaning in the, in the text. Uh, Cain is uh, a, a acquisition, one of substance. Cain, Cain, has this meaning, it says, one who has acquired, and his, and his mother Eve says, I have acquired man from God. Okay. So this name, Cain, one of substance and acquisition. Uh, Abel, Havel, uh, you, you come across this more commonly in Ecclesiastes, Havel, Havelim, vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless, empty, emptiness. Havel means like breath, nothing, a passing. Maybe denoting the fact that Abel eventually will just pass away. There's, there's literally nothing that's mentioned about Abel other than the fact that he offered a better offering. Okay. So they fight. <clears throat> and verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now, it's not that God says, I disapprove. It's just that Abel's one was given a higher favor. Uh, Cain may have approached it with possibly the wrong attitude he takes from some, and whether he gives it willingly or unwillingly, he just makes an offering. Abel, on the other hand, would seem to have given of the best that he had and expended more effort into it. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin 
is crouching at your door. It, de it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. <clears throat> There's this particular uh, funny caricature uh, about temptation and how we are going through this door. And so in this particular picture that is given to us, uh, Cain is at a threshold, a door. <clears throat> it's, it's quite good to try and picture it this way. If you have a door and you're going through the threshold, the moment you walk through that threshold, uh, sin is crouching in wait, about to pounce on you. And so there is this warning given to him. Now in that picture, you've got someone who is kind of like telling him, I've walked through that door and I got all beaten up. But here, God, in a way, is giving this command uh, to Cain. Don't go through that door. Sin is crouching and waiting on you. But what I'd like to point out here is, uh, moving on from chapter 3 into chapter 4, the main central theme and idea is this, is this growing and spiraling out of control sin. The initial sin between uh, Eve and Adam and God is now spiraling down to their children and the nature of the sin gets even worse as it goes along. Now, I want to just highlight there, it is this crouching at the door, this menacing thing that appears there and it, uh, <clears throat> it has this term in, uh, in Hebrew. Uh, in Hebrew, you actually normally just give the the, the main letters, you don't put in the vowels. So there are two possible meanings in there. One is robes or rabis. Robes is this crouching uh, at the door. But rabis is this uh, familiar mid-eastern demon that was said to always wait behind doors. Okay, so it was a folk tale at that time uh, of this uh, rabis that is hiding at the door, waiting to pounce on you. So you can imagine the ancient Near East people, every time they come to a door, they're very careful about the door. But it, it's, it's in a way a warning to them. It's like this demon that is waiting behind the door that's about to pounce on you if you foolishly walk through this particular door. And it desires to have or to master you. In other words, sin, right, this demon behind the door of temptation, desires to have you or master you. It wants you to be addicted to what lies behind that door. And at this point in time, I'd like to compare Adam and Cain. Now, do you think Adam is worse or Cain is worse? You might think Adam is worse, but let me, let me try and point out a few things here. One, Adam eats a forbidden fruit. Cain murders his brother. When you compare the two, which do you think in human nature people consider more grievous? Cain, because he murders. Uh, it's not to say that one sin is greater than the other. Both are sins as far as sin is concerned before God, it is you know, disobedience to God. But Cain demonstrates a spiraling out of control. Now, Adam has to be persuaded to sin. 
Cain, on the other hand, has to be dissuaded from sin. Do you, you understand what I mean? Adam was there. Eve had to offer him the fruit. And Eve was the one who first ate. And when Adam noticed that she didn't drop dead immediately, he says, okay, maybe I can try. <laughs> so Adam has to be persuaded to sin. Cain, on the other hand, God specifically tells him, why are you angry? Do you have a right to be angry? And sin is crouching at the door. Adam takes off the fruit. Cain murders his very own flesh and blood brother. And some people will argue, we don't know whether Cain is actually very remorseful of this. Because you, you don't really see uh, that many words reflected about Cain's attitude towards the murder. <clears throat> what is its effect on our human nature? What does sin do to us as people? In this particular example, two things. A loss of responsibility and accountability. Now, uh, if you want to follow, you just look at your front cover where the front cover says in verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? What is his answer? It's an outright lie. This is also another comparison between Adam and Cain. When God confronts Adam, Adam, what have you done? Who told you you were naked? And then he says, the woman <laughs> that you gave to me, <laughs> she gave me the fruit. So that's a, you know, a, a very stuttering kind of uh, admission of guilt. I ate of the fruit that you didn't want to. But Cain, what have you done? Where's your brother, Abel? I don't know. It's a loss of accountability and a loss of responsibility. Now that word, am I my brother's keeper? That word keeper uh, is used twice before. One is in depicting Adam as the keeper of the world, as a steward. One, in fact, the actual word uh, represents responsibility. God made Adam responsible for the care and stewardship of the whole world. He gave him responsibility over the animals to name them, to have stewardship over them. And the other place where this word keeper was is to describe the cherubim. The cherubim was placed at the east of Eden in order to keep Eden safe from mankind coming back in and eating from the fruit of life to live forever. <clears throat> and so, in this whole picture of this, what Cain is actually saying, am I responsible for my brother? Cain's the elder brother. He's saying, why should I be responsible for him? So two things happen. One is, he denies, and he, he outright lies about what he has done, and then he makes a joke out of it. Am I my brother's keeper? And the great irony of it is, yes, 
throughout all of humanity, we are our brother's keeper. We are responsible for them. And here's the big challenge for us in modern society. Because in modern society, in urbanization, which is the story of what Cain is doing as well, from agrarian, he basically gets sent out and he becomes an urban city dweller. Living in his own apartment, living in his own uh, pigeonhole is the modern context of it. Where whatever you do, I don't care. You just don't disturb me, I don't disturb you. You can hear screaming and yelling and plates crashing and glass breaking. Uh, not my problem. Go deal with it yourself. So we have to ask ourselves this question. In the breakdown of our relationship with each other, am I my brother's keeper? God's answer would apparently come back and say, yes. And we see this in the prime example of Jesus. Now, Jesus, in a way, is the answer to the question of murder. Because Jesus himself, at some point, is going to suffer the kind of fate that Abel suffered. To make a better offering, one that God finds favoured, Pharisees and Sadducees grew jealous, envy, pride. Now, one of the things that we need to take away from this in our reading of this is the progression. The progression of the sin. It's almost as if it begins as a small little pinprick. You get a small needle, you prick it. Now, I don't know whether you've been uh, uh, pricked by a needle before. Imagine you go and watch your movie. Uh, Star Wars, for example, recently. You go there, you sit down, and you, <laughs> and you find a needle in the seat. You get upset. How dare this person do this? You go to the office. You complain. You know, the office says, oh, I don't know nah, who did it, all that stuff, you know, who to blame. And you get upset. You get more and more upset to much to the point that you effectively feel as if you want to torch the whole entire place down. That's what's happening for Cain. It begins at the point where his pride is injured. Then he goes into envy. Why is uh, Abel's offering accepted and mine is not? Envy. Then comes anger, bitterness, hatred, murder. It's a growing spiral. So I had to ask you, in all these things, the little pinpricks when you feel I've been offended, my pride is wounded, my ego is being diminished, do you turn and you escalate that? Or do you do the other? What is the other? The other for us, the answer is, what did Jesus do? Turn the other cheek, love unconditionally, walk the extra mile, give and continue to love as Jesus loved. The effect of sin on human nature is a loss of responsibility and a loss of accountability. And I would therefore argue that if we want to regain part of this human nature is to be responsible 
and to be accountable. So I want to ask you now, this year, have you found your accountability partner? The way I see you're blinking at me, you're still wondering what is that all about. We have people that we are accountable to. Or many people want us to be accountable to them. Your bosses will say, give me your timesheet, tell me what have you been doing today, how many times did you go to the toilet? What output have you produced? Show me the reports. We want people to be accountable to us. But are we ourselves accountable to another? One of the things that was mentioned about Pope John Paul uh, II was his humility. He once had to basically discipline one of the archbishops. And the archbishop came up to him and he, you know, uh, says, you know, sorry, Holy See, I have to confess my sins. I've done these things. And it was with great fear and trembling because he had been caught. And he knew the repercussions were quite serious. But after that happened, what then happened was uh, Pope John Paul then said, okay, now you come here and I will do my confession to you. And they confessed to each other. I mean, he confessed the things to him as well. There is a certain aspect about confession that causes us to be accountable and to acknowledge when we have failed our responsibility but it is an indication that we do know what we are responsible for. One of the primary reasons where husbands and wives fight like cats and dogs and really know how to stick it into the weirdest of places is because they know what they're responsible for. And husbands and wives see through all the smoke screen and all the mask better than everyone else outside. And that's why when they say something, it really hurts. But what would happen if husbands and wives really heard each other? What would happen if children really were accountable and responsible? When a child actually comes to the father and says, I've done this, I, I know I shouldn't have. And recently there was a story that was posted online about how this child had somehow uh, pierced through a wall. Uh, in, the, in, in Europe, the walls are not made out of cement like here. The walls are sometimes uh, chipboard and it's easy to, to break through. And so this child had been playing in the room, lost balance and crashed into the wall and the wall had basically been cracked and dented. And she came crying and crying to the mother and says, I've done this. Confession. Responsibility. And the mother says, you know you have to tell daddy. And she says, I know, but I'm so afraid and I know I'm causing so much work for him. And so the mother writes to the father a WhatsApp message. She says, she's done this. She knows she's wrong, so don't give her grief. But she's working up the courage to come and tell you. Eventually, the girl does go and tell the father. And the father is, is well aware that she comes owning up to what has happened and wanting to be responsible. Now, how did she do this? What she did was she took out her piggy bank, put out all the money, put it in an envelope, gave it to the dad and says, Dad, take all my pocket money for the next few months in order to pay for the wall. Now, that's the contrast between the childlike faith and the faith of one who says, 
I don't know. It's not my problem. Am I my brother's keeper? Is my problem there? It's the contrast between those two. The third point I want to make about this is what is God's response to Cain's sin? Now, Cain definitely sinned. He murdered someone. The very act of taking life away from another person is God's prerogative. And Cain is acting in place of God in judgment against his brother. But God instead says, you know, let me just read to you what says. Cain said to the Lord, verse 13, My punishment, and in the Hebrew, that punishment word is also my guilt. My guilt, my punishment, my sin is more than I can bear. Now, if he says my guilt is more than I can bear, then okay, maybe he's guilty. He's feeling guilty. But the English reading in itself tends to say, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from the land. So now, consider this, right? Adam was kicked out east of Eden, right? He was out east of Eden. Cain is kicked out even further, east in the land of Nod, even further up. And he is cursed from the land, meaning to say that whatever he does now, the land is not going to produce anything for him. He's going to be a wandering person who's not an agrarian and he's just a city dweller. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain. We don't know what that mark is. I'm preempting this in case people decide to WhatsApp me or Facebook me and say, what is the mark? I don't know. Some people have uh, speculated it could be Tauf, uh, the letter T, because in another part in the Old Testament, uh, some people are marked with this T, sign of the cross on them. The letter Tav is the last letter in the Hebrew language. This text doesn't say anything of that. It just says that there was a mark on him given by God and that sign indicated to people that he was under God's protection. If anyone did anything to him, it would be made worse to them. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence, lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So this term, east of Eden, is a consistent repetition in this uh, Eden story, further and further out east. God continues to offer His grace. Why? Maybe in the hopes that eventually Cain might turn around. We find in the Chronicles as well as the New Testament, the assessment is that maybe he didn't. But he gives us two views about sin. One is God's uh, response to our sin, which is continuing grace that we might turn back to him. But also for us, to ourselves and to others. How do we respond to the sin that is within us? So let me leave you these three thoughts. Do you know what and who you are responsible for? You are called to be keepers, guardians, shepherds. What are you responsible for? Are you really responsible for your 
performance targets and bonuses? Or are you responsible for the well-being of the people who are placed under you? Because I know when I was in the marketplace, people were more concerned about profitability and the numbers than they were about the people. The common response was, ah, this one cannot tahan, go and find a job somewhere else. Somebody else will come in and work for less. They were dispensable. And very driven people who had their responsibilities and figures elsewhere were quite easy to just dispense with you. But I ask you as a Christian, do you know what you are responsible for? In the light of eternity and salvation and God's gift to you, what are you responsible for? Uh, a young woman once shared, I'm responsible for my children. I'm not responsible for keeping a very spick and span house at the cost of yelling and screaming to, at my children. I'm responsible as a man for the upbringing of my children, not for the demolition of their character and their will to live. Sometimes we want, you know, some semblance of peace in the house. And to do that, we use fear. I'm responsible to use love rather than fear. What are you responsible for? Who? are you responsible over? How are you guarding them? You're a keeper, a brother's keeper. Are you doing these things? Two, uh, <clears throat> will you be responsible and accountable to God and each other? And my particular challenge for you, given that we've already started the uh, Bible reading uh, plan for the year is to be accountable to someone. And what it means in honest conversation with another person to be able to share this is where I have failed. The only ability for a person to turn from his sin is his first ability to acknowledge that he is sinning. Because if a child or if a person or an adult refuses to acknowledge that they are in sin and be responsible and accountable for it, there is no changing that person. So if you were really honest during our covenant renewal service, if you're really honest with yourself at the 1st of, Ju uh, 1st of January when we started the year and says, this year I want to change. The change begins by being responsible for your failures. To acknowledge it, to be accountable for it, and to say, I will do something. Now for many of us, and I say this, whether you're young or old, many of us waste time. We spend hours on social media, we spend hours watching K-drama, K-pop, uh, hours looking for food, driving to a really exotic locations, and then makan, come back, sleep. Eating is necessary. <laughs> Not that it needs to take that much time. But whatever it is, are you accountable? And I especially address this to my elder gentlemen in our midst. We have grown in a culture in Asia where the men are never wrong. The Bible tells you you are wrong, but most of us will not, you know, will, will not admit that we are wrong. But the only way for you to change 
is when you are willing to be accountable to another person. So one of my good friends said to me, Ron, I'm dealing with pornography and I want to be accountable. His first step was to say, I am struggling with this. Especially when my wife goes traveling or when I go traveling, that's when I am hungry, alone, lonely, tired. Halt. Hungry, alone, lonely, tired. So, so he said, I want to be accountable. I said, okay, great. Let's do this. I'll be accountable to you. You'll be accountable to me. And so he says, when I feel the urge, I'll call you. And that's what he did for a few months. Ron, difficult period. And he would tell me, my wife is going overseas. So I would keep tabs on him. He says, how are things? Are you holding it up? Until he reached a point where he said, I'm all right. Now, that might not be your issue. You know, right? it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not taken through that. Fine. Yeah, yours could be something else. It could be anger. It could be pride. Will you really look deep inside yourself and say, I want to be responsible. I want to be accountable. Find two, maximum two. So there'll be three of you all. Two others. Two plus one. If you really have to, four. And we, we have this thing called three, two, one. Three people for two hours once a month. I say this again, huh? three, two, one. Three people for two hours once a month sit down. Why two hours? Because you need around 40 minutes to say, this is what's going on in my life, where I'm failing, where I'm succeeding. So you copy Tiamla, two hours once a month with two other people. So three, two, one. And you become accountable and responsible to each other. First question you ask, you got to do your Bible reading or not? Fail. <laughs> but the ability to read the Bible is an indication of how serious you are about change. So my challenge to you, start of the year, three, two, one. Find, three, what, find two others or three others maximum for two hours once a month. Meet up and have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Maybe not with your wife or husband. Okay? Some people have asked before, do I do it with my wife or husband? Can, provided that you can talk honestly with each other. If you cannot, then find someone whom you feel, I can talk with this person. My last one. Confront your sin and do not let it master you. What God told to Cain, I say to you, that if you go through this threshold door and you commit this sin, sin is waiting for you and it will want to master you. You will be addicted to it. It will want to get you so dependent on it that you cannot break through for it. But for others, now this is for yourself, sin that you are facing. But what about for others? For others, exercise grace and mercy, what God did to them. In their brokenness, they are unable to change. Continue to give grace. Peter asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive? Three times? And Jesus answered, 70 times, seven times. Again and again and again and again. You keep offering this grace because we ourselves need to change. So I leave these three to you. Know what you're responsible for. 
be responsible and accountable to two others or three to one and confront your sin, offer grace. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that even as we have looked into your scripture, Lord, about the offering that we give up to you and how we often fall short in our offering, we ask, Lord, for your grace. Help us to turn away from our sin, Lord. Help us to be responsible for the things that we are responsible for and accountable and to seek forgiveness and to change where it's needed. I ask, Lord, if this is a desire of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you offer them opportunity to open up a window of vulnerability to each other and to be able to do this, Lord. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.